Dennis and Buckets fam, we are live. The Big 6-0, episode 60. Can't believe we've already done so much and have so much to talk about um, throughout the football season, the rest of 2021, and entering the new year, 2022. So before we talk sports, we're going to talk Fueled Supplements, the one and only sponsor here at Business and Buckets. So fellas, performance is the top of the list in all categories of our lives. That's why you need Counterattack from Fueled Supplements. Their advanced on-cycle and post-cycle standalone formula is so much more than the average testosterone booster. Counterattack combats estrogen production, supports liver, kidney, and heart health, as well as boosts sex drive, energy levels, and lean muscle mass. Let's face it, we all want to feel like a young, energized version of ourselves, increase vitality inside and outside the gym with Counterattack. The missus will thank you guys for it. So don't wait, head to FueledSupplements.com and use my promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off. Once again, promotion code BUCKETS, B-U-C-K-E-T-S. Well, gosh darn it, the NFL season is winding down. Every single game matters, but there is some things that are happening across the league. The first one, being somewhat of a surprising move, for me anyways, was Bashad Breland cut by the Vikings I mean, this guy's done so much for them. Let's see. Brashad Breland. How long has he been there? He was a little shocked. He reached out on social media, um, you know, being shocked as well. Um, he comes from Clemson, a perennial powerhouse college football team. He played with the Packers, the Chiefs, um, and then playing with the Vikings. Uh, but he's had a good, a good career. And it's just weird to me that they, they were able to do that or that they wanted to do that this far in the season. But, uh, you know, obviously you got to make executive decisions, but definitely a surprise as the Vikings have been trying to fight for their lives the past few weeks. Terrible news for the defending Super Bowl champions. Chris Godwin out for the year after an ACL tear uh, happening in this past week's game. You know, Antonio Brown's expected to be back after this whole fake vaccine card incident. Uh, even Bruce Arians is saying that he looks good, looks as good as he did post ankle injury. So I assume that that's you know going to play a huge role for the team. Uh, but battling injuries, that's why it's so hard to repeat in the NFL. Uh, speaking of injuries, Daniel Jones being shut down for the year for the Giants. They're obviously out of the playoff race. Uh, you know this was supposed to be Danny Dimes' make it or break it year. So. It makes things kind of interesting to see what their future plans are. Uh, it looks like they're going to give Jake Fromm some opportunities this year. Uh, but unless they want to invest heavy draft capital in a trade or heavy draft capital for an early pick again, I would expect Danny Dimes to have one more audition for the team. For my Pittsburgh Steelers, the future defensive player of the year better be TJ Watt breaking the Steelers' all-time sack record uh, while missing some time in games and also two weeks this season. That was held by the, the Mr. Scary Debo, James Harrison. Uh, but a huge accolade for him with a few weeks remaining. You know, has his sights set on lots of different records and potential records for the all-time record, let alone uh, earn himself his first, shouldn't be first, but first Defensive Player of the Year award. Attack McKinley tears his ACL, or excuse me, tears his Achilles for the Browns in this past game. Uh, you know, another piece that they're having to deal without. Uh, another injury for that Browns team 
as this was supposed to be their year that really shined. It looks like they're on their way towards missing the playoffs and uh, losing tack isn't going to help. More news in the, the world for the Buccaneers. Leonard Fournette not officially on the IR, but expected to go to the IR. So the team has signed Le'Veon Bell for running back depth. Obviously, Ronald Jones is going to get majority of the carries, uh, but going to have a veteran guy, you know, why they're giving this guy opportunities, I'm not sure. But as a Steelers fan, it's definitely ironic. Tom Brady going for all the weapons that he can to pursue another Lombardi trophy. And because of all these COVID issues, uh, the NFLPA came out, came out today and announced that they almost potentially canceled three games. You know, they obviously moved some of the games to Monday and Tuesday. That's why I'm filming this today on Wednesday. Wanted to be able to watch those games. And with the Chiefs having a ton of COVID issues and some other teams, it'll be interesting to see if they do that again this week. Uh, but they were very close to canceling the games. They didn't. You know, no bye week, extra weeks. Uh, the playoffs are right around the corner, so very challenging times. It'll be interesting to see how the league handles COVID moving forward, especially as some leagues are seeing the Omicron, Omicron, however the fuck you say it, variant as, you know, not a deadly variant, something that's just more of a, a contagious variant. So they're protecting themselves, but don't feel like, um, you know, the need to cancel games for players testing positive for player health. Other than that, enough COVID, enough injuries. We're going to break down an AFC and NFC team again this week, talk a little bit about my thoughts for the rest of the season outlook. Uh, so we're going to start in the NFC with a team that just is off a nice victory, the 9-4 Los Angeles Rams, um, the star-studded Rams, the, the going all-in Rams, the Sean McVay high-octane offense Rams, the addition of Von Miller, killer defense, Los Angeles Rams. So... We look at it, they're 9-4, three games left. I had the Rams at 11-6 on the season, so I feel like I was right there within their season of my preseason predictions right here on Business and Buckets. Uh, but everything really has come down to how Matt Stafford could play, how he can uplift this team, obviously the difference from Goff to Stafford, but also staying healthy throughout the season. Can they keep him upright? And then they added in Von Miller for the defense, uh, add in Sony Michelle, who's been running well of late. This is definitely a scary team that's had contention in their, you know, in their mindset this whole season. And as analysts and other sports fans, we would expect that to be the case as they have no picks coming up in the future. They've literally hauled them all off for talent to win now. When we look at their injuries, you know, they're obviously without Robert Woods. Um, on the receiving core, I do feel like Van Jefferson has taken that step. I think he's right around... Uh, 800 yards on the season. He's really stepped up. Tyler Higby as a tight end has, has played well as played well as well. Uh, but losing Cam Akers at the start of the season was very brutal. You know, Sean McVay hasn't technically ruled him out for the playoffs. I don't expect to see him the rest of the season. Uh, but they've had guys that have filled those roles in a decent way. Darrell Henderson had played well. You know, he ended up getting hurt. Insert Sonny Michelle, he's doing well. Now you have a, 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 a duo running back by committee type of attack. Um, outside of those injuries, they are relatively healthy. They are dealing with some COVID issues as some other teams are in the league, but I would expect in the next week that to clear up and a lot of the players to return when football matters most. But who knows with this? We've seen it hit teams in waves. Um, I'd almost rather have my team hit away pre-postseason, trying to avoid that effort, you know, already having the Omicron variant or not. When we look at the team as a whole, 
as I've said multiple times, they're built to win now, and it looks like they truly are going to be a contender this season as long as they stay healthy. The problem is that the NFC is stacked. It's very top-heavy, and teams that play physical with a great pass rush are inevitable for the Rams. Uh, they see it in their division, you know, six games a season, but we'll see if this team has the cojones needed to get the job done. I'm really interested to see how they do in some of these big postseason matchups. When we look at their defensive unit, the team has been underwhelming, even with the addition of Von Miller, and he's ranked number eight overall by PFF. You know, once that was announced, I think it shocked the football world, and everyone just assumed that Donald, Miller, Ramsey, this team was going to be elite, elite. They took a couple of losses. They've been getting pushed around. They've been out physical. So it's going to be interesting to see how they do as they have a few weeks of getting that chemistry in. They, they know their roles. With the veterans on that team, I'm sure they will figure it out. They're really forming into their, their uh, best form at the right time here towards the end of the season. They have Aaron Donald. He's obviously number one according to PFF. Uh, he has 26 tackles, 11 sacks, and two forced fumbles on the season. A potential defensive player of the year. Um, again, for Donald's resume, I would assume he'll be a finalist. Uh, and he, you know give the guy credit, is potentially the best player on the football field against anybody. That's how good this guy is, and we've seen this year in and year out at this point. They also have Greg Gaines, who's number 17, uh, according to PFF, and Ashawn Robinson, number 28. We've had stellar seasons up front for the Rams as well. The problem has been their linebacking unit, um, but you insert Von Miller on the edge. He's number 6, according to PFF, although I would assume a lot of that was with his days in the Broncos. And then Leonard Floyd, number 23, according to PFF, he has 29 tackles, 9 sacks, a forced fumbled, and a pick. Um, so they've been solid on the outside, but in the middle has been their weak point. They have Ernest Johnson, number 32, who's having a decent season, but they haven't had stellar, stellar inside linebacking. Their back end, outside of Ramsey, has been okay with Jordan uh, Fuller at number 12 and Taylor Rapp, the ex-Husky, here locally in Seattle at number 42. But having Jalen Ramsey, the lockdown, shut the side of the field down corner, he's number two this season of PFF, really helps shore that back end up. He's got 51 tackles, a forced fumble, three picks, and 13 passes defended on the season. So as a unit, they're pretty good. They definitely have some weak points. But you look at the roster on paper, they're so top-heavy, star-studded, studded the Ramsey, Donald, Vaughn. That some of those other weaker points as a unit, as long as they're playing together, should be okay. Offensively, their line, which is huge, has been number seven in the in the league so far, and really has helped keep Stafford together. He's taken his fair share of hits. He's battling some injuries throughout the year, but overall has been looked looked pretty good. You know, really the line when you think of the Rams' offensive line, it's Andrew Whitworth. He's the heart and the soul. And last, um, the heart and the soul in his last years with the Rams, this very well could potentially be his last year. I don't know, you know, what his thoughts are. He's definitely older. Let's see how old he is. We've seen him on his hard knocks days. He's 40 years old. So I would assume that he's trying to go in, win a Super Bowl, and potentially call it a career. But you never know with these types of dudes. But everything on that line re revolves around him. So as long as he's healthy and he's anchoring that offensive line, they should be in a good position. Stafford, according to PFF this year, is ranked number eight. 
He's third in the league in the NFL with 4,142 passing yards. He's headed for another 5K season. As we know, it's been aired out Stafford most of his career. And he's second in passing touchdowns with 35 on the season. When we do look at that revolving door of the running back squad, obviously Akers being down, then Henderson uh, being on the IR for a few weeks. But Michelle's the hot hand. He's ranked number 27 in all the backs thus far. And really, to me, when we look at this offense on paper, what's elevated them with those losses of Robert Woods and Cam Akers? It's the FCS Eastern Washington alum fucking stud Cooper Cup. This kid's ranked number two according to PFF, and he's leading the league with 1,625 yards and potentially heading for a 2,000-yard season or damn near close. And this would be the first time in NFL history as the record is held by Calvin Johnson, ex-Stafford teammate, with 1,964 yards. Could you imagine Matt Stafford, the top two receivers under him, and the record books for the NFL? That would be wild. Outside of that, they've obviously acquired OBJ. He's been gelling in with the team more and more every week, and I feel like he's playing a big role. And they have, again, Van Jefferson on the outside, the speedster, Tyler Higby. You know, he's on COVID protocols, battling injuries, but should be good to go. So for the rest of the season, I see the Rams going 3-0 the rest of the season. I think they'll lock in that three seed. And if, if my assumptions of how the rest of the season plays out, that would have them hosting the Saints in the playoffs, which they'd easily be the favorite, but would be a tough task with that defense. Obviously, the Saints lack the offense. They do have Alvin Kamara. I think it'd be an ugly playoff-type game. The Rams would definitely be the favorite, and I would pick the Rams in that game, you know, assuming there's no major injuries or anything else happening. But the Rams, true contender, looking good, have had their ebbs and flows. That's what happens in the NFL season. But it looks like they could potentially be uh, clicking on all gears at the right time. Which brings us to the AFC. Man, this team, as you guys know, my preseason favorite to win the Super Bowl. Um, really, just in my opinion, the true top dog in the AFC. A lot of people wanted to give the Bills the chances here. Outside of them, you know, the Patriots are a hot team lately. I don't think too highly of them. So really, to me, it's it's the the when you think of the AFC, you think of the Chiefs. And through those four losses and the early season issues and the turnovers for Pat Mahomes, the narrative was. Are they ready? Are they playing reckless? Do they have the pieces? Are we seeing the downfall? And for me, it's almost like an NBA season for them where they're just kind of playing around, figuring things out, and now they're strapping in, getting things handled offensively and defensively. But through that time, each week, every single loss added early in the season, you know, someone had something to say about the Chiefs and that they weren't they would be lucky to make the playoffs. There was, you know, Stephen A and those guys talking that far. I started wavering a little bit and said I was concerned, but I would never say that they wouldn't make the playoffs, and I never agreed with that kind of narrative. I was a little worried when it came to me giving you guys the Chiefs as my Super Bowl pick and, and how things had played out. But now look at them. I They're 10-4. and four. I had predicted them to be 13-4 and four on the season, which very well could happen, but I believe they will lose one more game, the final game of the season, because they'll have the one seed locked up. The bye week is some extra rest. But they very well may not do that as well. They might play the starters for some time, depending on how they're feeling. 
But this week, they do play my Pittsburgh Steelers. And if it doesn't get pushed to next week, it, it might be an interesting game because it could be without Tyree Kill. They could be without like six other players, Travis Kels. So some of their main playmakers, and that might be enough to give the Steelers the edge. But it's Wednesday today. We'll see if anything happens by Friday with game postponements. Um, you know, if people can turn around and get back activated. I know that Kels was on the COVID list early in the week. He is vaccinated. So there's lots of, you know, skepticism here with what's happening this week across the whole NFL, not just with the Chiefs-Steelers game. But, you know, I projected them 13-4. and four. I think they're going to be close. But it just shows how that early season wavering, you know, has really just kind of evaporated. People are almost like, are they the class of the AFC? Are they not? And they're almost there. I still am picking them as my Super Bowl favorite today. The class of the AFC, they are representing the AFC. And when we look at them and their injuries, Legereus Sneed right now, who's had an amazing year, is out for personal reasons. I would assume that he will be back in, in the near future. Um, and other than that, it's mostly COVID issues that should clear up again within the next week. Having this wave, you would think it might help them be COVID resistant coming playoff time. But, you know, with all of this and the predictions, COVID's a motherfucker. We, we really don't know what's going to happen. But at this time, the Chiefs are one of the more healthy teams when we look at true Super Bowl contenders thus far throughout the NFL season. The question for the Chiefs hasn't necessarily been their offense. It's mostly the narrative is around the defense. And at the start of the season, they definitely, uh, to me, it was like they were, the defense was a boat. There was leaking holes everywhere, and they're just trying to patch the holes, trying to get through a few weeks, get Chris Jones back healthy, get Tyron Bad, uh, Honey Badger back in the lineup, and they're just patching these holes. Well, now the holes are patched, and the defense is really coming into its own. Chris Jones being 100% is really the game changer here. And they rank right around the top, right around 10 for defenses in the league thus far in the season. And a lot of that is because they've been turnover machines the past few weeks. As a unit, and their cornerback unit, <clears throat> and the back end, excuse me, Char Charverius Ward, Rashad Fenton, and Mike Hughes together as the cornerback depth has been pretty, so pretty solid. But the heart and the soul of the back end of their defense runs through Hunter, Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew, with 51 tackles, three picks, six passes defended, and he's missed a number of games. They also have uh, Juan Thornhill, who's ranked number 15th, according to PFF, on the opposite side that's been holding his own. Nick Bolton at middle linebacker has been having a good season. He's ranked 18 by PFF. But again, the defense hasn't been the same and isn't going to be the same without the number fourth ranked interior defender, Chris fucking Jones, who's got 12 tackles, seven sacks, and a forced fumble. And they also added, uh, before the trade deadline, Melvin Ingram from Pittsburgh, the veteran from the Chargers, and he's been a nice boost to them and is ranked number 19 by PFF. So, again, they were patching up holes. The holes are patched. It seems like they have a solid foundation. Do I consider them a top five unit, a top 10 unit? Debatably, but with that offense, they have a solid team that doesn't let the big play happen, that can force some turnovers. How do you see anybody beating the Chiefs? So transitioning to the offense. We all know this is where the Chiefs shine. It's all gold, shiny rainbows and unicorns at their offense. And they're a motherfucker for DCs to try to defend against. Pat Holmes, thus far, ranked number 17th in PFF. You know, a lot of those turnover issues early in the season. 
but he's a stud. He's currently fifth overall in passing regardless with 4,052 yards. He's got the Cheetah, Tyree Kill, the fourth-ranked receiver with 1,178 yards, and of course, Travis Kelce, the leading receiving tight end with 1,066 yards. He's also ranked number four by PFF. Now, they haven't had as many big play highlights, but are getting the job done. You know, they're not having these no-look passes, this 80-yard bomb to Cheetah. Teams are putting that two-safety look on them, forcing them to play intermediate, but once they've allowed, you know, accepted that, they, they've getting the job done. And this has been with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who is supposed to fix the run game on the IR, um, dealing with a kind of rotation at the running back uh, core, which has somewhat been, of a mess, uh, been messy this season. But their offensive line is really, really rounding into shape. And this was a big piece of the offense they wanted to fix and change in the offseason, and they really have. Um, I think in the Mahomes era, this is the best offensive line the Chiefs have had. And all due credit... I, uh, you know, they're number four overall right now in the NFL. But the big reason and where all the credit needs to be given is Mr. Creed Humphrey, the number one ranked center according to PFF, Boomer fucking Sooner. The fact that he fell that much in the draft really surprised me. You look at his size, his numbers at the combine. You know, he doesn't blow people off on, the, on paper. But you look at what he can do, how he leverages himself, how his hands are just you know, a, a finite part of his game, he really is a game changer. They also acquired Orlando Brown Jr., another Oklahoma alum, Joe Thune, who's had a great career, and Kyle Long coming back to play for the Chiefs, trying to win a ring, and is just now getting inserted into that offensive line. So if healthy, this unit's going to be a force to be reckoned with. You give Pat Mahomes time and all those receiving options and speedsters, you know, outside of Tyree Kill, they have a lot of speed as well. McCole Hardman, uh, those types of guys, they're going to be dangerous. Like I said, I do see them going 2-1 and one the rest of the season. Easily have locked in, locked in the number one seed in the playoffs. So um, watch out. The Kansas City Chiefs are coming, and I think they're going to win a Super Bowl. Just like I said at the beginning of the season. When we look at my picks last week, I went 11-5, and five, had a pretty solid week. Uh, I'm 138 and 81 on the season. Could do better. Uh, have had a solid season doing the picks. And this past week, I felt pretty good about it. So let's talk about last week's games and then preview what we have going into this week. Um, quickly, looking at the standings, the, the Patriots are a game ahead of the Bills. Obviously, they have a head-to-head -head matchup. The AFC North is super tight. Every single game is going to matter. There's a lot of interdivisional games here to finish the season. The Colts are battling the Titans as they try to get healthy. A.J. Brown looks to be coming back, potentially Derrick Henry any week now. And then the Chiefs looking to run away with the division. The Cowboys running away. The Packers running away. The Bucks got pretty much locked up. And then the NFC West, a two-horse race with the Cardinals and the Rams. We got some football coming up. So last Thursday, AFC West, a big game for the Chiefs on the road in L.A., if that is considered a road game. I saw just as many Chiefs fans in there as there was Chargers, typical. Uh, but they had got the job done in overtime. This was a tough-fought game, and then overtime, the fucking points just came. They beat the Chargers 34-28 as they go to 10-4, and, and the Chargers drop to 8-4. And, and like I said, it was kind of a slow-moving game at, at the start, and then everything started clicking in overtime. Pat Mahomes finished with finished 31 for 47, 410 yards, three picks and an interception, or 
three tutties and an interception. Uh, he actually led the team with rushing, which is wild. Three carries for 32 yards. One of those was a 32-yard run. And Clyde's Edwards-Hilaire did get nine carries. He only mustered 32 yards, which is a 3.6 average. And, of course, their top two weapons, the Cheetah, the tight end catching machine, Travis Kels leading the way. Uh, Kels had 10 catches for 191 yards, almost going for 200. And he had two touchdowns as well. And then Cheetah with 12 catches for a buck 48 and a touchdown. How do you stop those guys? As a DC, what that, you know, what do you do as a defensive coordinator? How do you scheme it up? Nobody really knows. Uh, Pat Mahomes did lose a fumble as well. For the Chargers, Justin Herbert, boy, what a quarterback battle this is going to be for years and years to come. What a what fun that fun this has been. He was 22 for 38, 236 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. The backfield was a two-horse race with Justin Jackson getting 13 carries, Austin Eckler getting 12. Jackson had 86, carry, 86 yards on those carries. That's a 6.6 average. And Eckler mustered 59 yards and a touchdown. That's a 4.9 average. So decent game on the ground, 192 yards as a unit. And the receiving was led by, obviously, wide receiver number one, Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen was six catches for 78 yards and a tutty. Uh, Joshua Kelly did lose a fumble for the for the Chargers. Defensively as a unit, the Chargers only got to Pat Mahomes one time. That's that new offensive line. Uh, Ucheni, Uchenna and, and Wosu had a pick on the day of Pat Mahomes. The Chiefs defense, Nick Bolton, the linebacker we were just talking about, 14 tackles, three passes defended in a QB hit on the day, and Charvarius Ward, getting 10 tackles and two passes defended as well. They got no sacks on Herbert, but Anthony Hitchens stole an interception uh, for the Chiefs. When we look at it, the Chargers were 6-13 on third down. You know they love their fourth down go-for-it uh, go calls. They went 2-5 for five on fourth. The Chiefs were a nice 7-12 of 12 on third down, 0-1 on fourth. The Chiefs out-yarded the Chargers by 70 yards. Both teams had two turnovers. And the Chargers outpossessed the Chiefs by five minutes in defeat. Then we had a Saturday game. Only one because the Chargers-Browns game got moved due to COVID issues. And the, the Colts were able to take down the Pats. I had picked this. I wanted everyone to see that the Pats were not a true contender. They're a great team, a solid team. They're on their way up, but they weren't there yet. And the Colts gave them the, a taste of their own medicine. They only threw the ball 12 times. They captured victory 27-17 as the Colts were up to 8-6. The Pats fall to 9-5. Mac Jones, he didn't get 12 attempts. He had 45 of them damn things. It was 26-45 for 299 yards, two touchdowns, and two picks. Pretty solid day for the Rook. Ramondre Stevenson led the backfield with 10 carries for 36 yards, so not a lot going for them on the ground. And Hunter Henry led the team in receiving with six catches, for 77 yards and two touchdowns. For the Colts, the, the Hard Knocks Colts. Can't wait to watch Hard Knocks today. Carson Wentz, 5 of 12, 57 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Um, Jonathan Taylor, MVP, the Jonathan Taylor, 29 carries, 170 yards. That's a 5.9 average. He had a long run, the wrap, game wrapping run, a 67 yards, and he found the end zone once. And the receiving was led by Zach Pascal. No receiver had more than one catch. He had one catch for 23 yards. 
Now on the defense, Darius Leonard, 10 tackles, a tackle for loss, a pass defended, and a QB hit. Uh, Bobby Okariki, Okariki uh, one interception as well as Darius Leonard. Those boys are having years. For the Pats defense, they only got to um, Carson Wentz once as a unit. And Devin McCourty, of course, getting an interception um, to keep them in the game. The Colts were 2-10 on third down, not very good, but they were 3-3 three for three on fourth down. The Pats 6-15 on third down, 1-3 for three on fourth. The Pats did outyard the uh, Colts by 90. They did lose the turnover battle 2-1, and the Colts outpossessed the Pats by a minute. So that set us up for Sunday. You know, I didn't catch a lot of that Colts game. I was skiing. It was the first time skiing this year, and boy, was it a PNW ski day. It was fucking raining in the mountain. I got my friend to go for the first time, spent the morning teaching him up, but the conditions weren't great, but it was still a good time. Getting that icon pass, getting the ROI back on that icon pass, but excited as I fly back to Montana tomorrow and get some real snow. There's no such thing as rain on a mountain there. Nice, fluffy, fucking snow. Get ready to shred. I'm shreddy to come back. Uh, for the new year, see some Dave Chappelle at Climate Pledge, and get some more skiing in. So I hope you guys have a lot of fun plans for the holidays. Um, but fuck, we get football almost every day. So uh, jumping back into Sunday, the Bills dominating the Panthers 31-14. to You know, the Panthers were my preseason sneaky dark horse pick to uh, enter the playoffs with all the injuries that they've had, CMC, the quarterback issues, obviously that hasn't come to fruition. Their defense has had a lot of injuries, but it's still played pretty good ball. But they're a hot mess right now. It's hard to pick them against anyone, especially the Bills in Buffalo. Cam Newton tried his best. He was 18 for 38, 156 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. His days might be coming to an end as Sam Darnold might potentially get reinserted as he's healthy. Uh, Cam did lead the team in running uh, yards with 15 carries for 71 yards. It's a 4.7 average. He had a touchdown as well. And then the back or the receiving was led by, oh, you called it, Amir Abdullah. Uh, the, the vet journeyman had four catches for 48 yards and a touchdown on the day. Um, for the Bills, Josh Allen, 19 to 34, 210 yards, three touchdowns, and a pick on the day. And Devin Singletary getting a run. They're trying to figure that run game out. He gets 22 carries for 86 yards. It's right under a four average and a touchdown. That's a great sign if you are the Bills against a solid defense. They're going to need a lot more of that run game in the postseason. And the receiving core was led by Gabriel Davis. Five catches, 85 yards, and two tutties. Stephon Diggs got a touchdown reception as well. Defensively, the Bills were able to get to Cam Newton four times. Two of those by F.A. Obata. Two sacks on the day. And then A.J. Klein with an interception for Buffalo. For the Panthers, they got four sacks on Allen as well. Yator, Gross, Matos having a year. He had five tackles, two and a half sacks, a tackle for a loss, and three QB hits. And Jeremy Chin, the young defensive back with an interception for the Panthers. The Bills finished the day 6-14 of 14 on third down, 1-1 one for one on fourth. Pretty good conversion rates. The Panthers were 7-17 seven of 17 on third down, 1-5 for five on fourth. The Bills out-yarded the Panthers by 40 yards. They both had a turnover, 
and the Panthers outpossessed the Bills by three minutes in the defeat. Then the shocker of the day. This is where I lost all my money that for football. The Lions not only beat the, the Cardinals, the, the very good number one NFC seeded Cardinals, but they took it to them, 30 to 12. As they get their second win of the season, they go to 2-11-1. What a record. And the Cardinals drop to 10-4. The one seed in the NFC has got a lot more interesting. And Kyler Murray playing pretty solid ball. 23 of 41, 257 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Uh, the run game didn't exist very much, even though they reinserted Chase Edmonds. He got six carries for 53 yards. It's an 8.8 .8 average. James Conner still getting eight for only 39 yards. James Conner finally didn't get to the end zone. He's been a touchdown machine all year. And Christian Kirk leading the receiving core without Hopkins. Nine catches, 94 yards, and a touchdown. For the Lions, Jared Goff playing really good ball. 21-26, 216 yards and three touchdowns for 139.7 rating. I don't know if anyone probably enjoyed that win more than Jared Goff trying to keep his NFL days alive. And how about this guy? Second week in a row, this guy comes in. Craig Reynolds, the running back in his first season from Cutstown. I had to look that up. It's in Pennsylvania uh, last week. But he had 26 carries for 112 yards. It's a 4.3 average. You added him in fantasy, daily fantasy. You getting paid. You're winning your league. Um, and the receiving core was led by Amon Ra St. Brown, who had eight catches for 90 yards and a touchdown. Josh Reynolds having a good day as well. Six, six catches, 68 yards and a touchdown. Godwin Ejwabwiki did lose a fumble for the Lions. Charles Harris defensively had 12 tackles, a sack and a half, three tackles for a loss, and two QB hits for the Lions. And Amani Orawai had an interception for the Lions defense. For the Cardinals, Jalen Thompson, 10 total tackles on the day. They got to Goff two times as a unit, but no interceptions. The Lions were 6-13 on third down, probably one of the better days for them on the season. One for one on fourth. The Cardinals 7 for 15 on third, 1 for 3 on fourth. The Cardinals did outyard the Lions by 60. Both teams turned the ball over, but the Lions outpossessed the Cardinals by three minutes. And the Lion or the, the Dolphins continue to roll. They take down the J-E-T-S. Jets, Jets, Jets. Uh, they go to 7-7 seven and, seven and, and, and find themselves at 500 as they beat the Jets 31-24. The Jets drop to 3-11. Zach Wilson, 13 to 23, 170 yards. The backfield didn't get a lot in the run game, but Telvin Coleman led the way with eight carries for 50 yards. That's a 6.3 average. Michael Carter was back. He got eight carries, but only mustered 18 yards. It's a 2.3 average. Tough day for him. And the receiving core was led by Jamison Crowder, five catches, 40 yards. And Zach Wilson did lose a fumble, turnover machine. And then how about Tua? 16 to 27, 196, two touchdowns, two picks. Had a battle adversity, but got the job done late as they were down for most of the game. And insert Duke fucking Johnson. He's back. He gets 22 carries, 107 yards. It's a 4.9 average. And he gets the end zone twice. Have a day, sir. Uh, Miles Gaskin still involved. 10 carries for 54 yards, but it was all Duke Johnson. 
And one of his favorite targets, Alabama, or um, roll tide roll, Devontae Parker, four catches, 68 yards, and a touchdown on the day um, as Jalen Waddle's still out. Let's see. Uh, Clayton Fashetalim lost a fumble for the Dolphins. Defensively, they were able to get to Wilson six times. Two of those from Jerome Baker. He had a day, seven tackles, two sacks, two tackles for a loss, and two QB hits. For the Jets, C.J. Mosley was flying around with 14 tackles. Quincy Williams, another double-digit performance with 11. They got to uh, Tua one time on the day, but they did get two interceptions. Brandon Eccles and Ashton Davis, but Brandon Eccles got the pick six, uh, which almost looked like a backbreaker for Miami, but Tua and the Dolphins fought back. Um, the Dolphins did finish 5-12 on third down, 2-for-3 on fourth. The Jets 3-for-11 on third, 0-for-1 on fourth. The Dolphins out-yarded the Jets by a buck 50. They were minus 2 in the turnover differential, 3-1, to one, but out-possessed the Jets by 9 minutes as they found a way in an ugly day to get the victory. The, the Cowboys handling NFC uh, East business. They take down the, the Giants 21-6. They go to 10-4. The Giants fall to 4-10. The football Giants have all the issues in the world. Dak Prescott, 28-37, 217 yards and a touchdown. You're in fantasy playoffs. That's a tough pill to swallow. The backfield split between Zeke and Tony. Pollard back in the action with 12 carries for 74 yards. It's a 6.2 average as he continues to look more explosive than Zeke. But Zeke was 16 carries for 52 yards. That's a 3.3 average. He did find the end zone. And the receiving core was led by Dalton Schultz, 67 yards on eight catches for an end of touchdown. For the Giants, Mike Glennon start, started. Jake Fromm was inserted. Glennon was 13 to 24, 99 yards and three picks before Fromm came in and was six to 12 for 82 yards. Devontae Booker ended up leading the team in rushing with 74 yards on eight carries. That's a really good 9.3 average. Although Saquon Barkley, Saquads Barkley, having a tough time coming back from injury, 15 carries for 50 yards, it's only a 3.3 average. And they finally trying to get the ball to Kenny Galladay, although not great, led the team in receiving on seven targets, but only reeled in three catches for 53 yards. Dak Prescott lost a fumble for the Cowboys. Saquon Barkley lost one for the Giants. Defensively for the Giants, take Crowder with 12 tackles and a tackle for a loss. Logan Ryan with 10 tackles, as well as Julian Love. They were able to get to Dak Prescott three times, two of those from Lorenzo Carter. He had four tackles, two sacks, two tackles for a loss, a pass defended, and three QB hits on the day. For the Cowboys, they only got to the Giants quarterbacks once on the day, but did get three picks from Glennon. One from Tra Trayvon Diggs is his year keeps getting sweeter. Malik Hooker and Jordan Lewis as well. Statistically, the Giants were 6-14 on third, 1-3 uh, on fourth. The Cowboys were 8-14 on third, and the Cowboys out-yarded the Giants by 26. They were minus 3 in the turnover, or plus 3 in the turnover differential, 1-4, and out-possessed out the Giants by 7 minutes. Crazy AFC game. I was stressing to the max. The Steelers find a way, not sure how, 
but find a way to beat the Derrick Henry and A.J. Brownless Titans 19-13 as they went to 7-6-1 and, and, and the Titans fall to 9-5. and Ryan Tannehill was 23-32, 153 yards and a pick on the day. Dante Foreman, that Steelers running uh, defense just looking terrible. He's mustered 22 carries for 108 yards. That's right out of 5 per average. And Nick Westbrook-Akini leading the team in receiving with 4 catches for 32 yards. For the Steelers, they only had 168 yards on the day. Big Ben was 16-25 for 148 yards. And Najee Harris had 12 carries for 18 yards. That's a terrible 1.5 average. Credit to the Steelers' offensive line. And Deontay Johnson led the team in receiving five catches for 38 yards. Now, Ryan Tannehill did lose a fumble. So did Anthony Ferkser and Racy McMath. So they had a lot of turnover issues. Um, defensively for the Steelers, Minko was a tackling machine. He was that stopgap safety, 14 tackles on the day. And Terrell Edmonds doing his part as well. 10 tackles, 2 tackles for a loss. As a unit, they got to Tannehill 4 times. And you already know, TJ Watt with a sack and a half, 5 tackles, and 3 QB hits. Joe Schobert did find a way to get an interception on the afternoon. And for the Titans, they got to Big Ben 3 different times. No picks on the day. So when we look at the team stats, Pittsburgh, a very terrible 2 for 11 on 3rd down. You don't see a lot of teams winning going 2 for 11 on 3rd down with 168 total yards, but they found a way. Uh, the Titans were 8 of 18 on 3rd down, 1 for 2 on 4th, and they out-yarded the Steelers by 160. They did lose the turnover battle 4 to 0 to the Steelers, so minus 4. That's a, way to, that's a losing recipe no matter how many yards the other team gets. But they did outpossess the Steelers by 19 minutes. The first half, it was all Titans. The Steelers barely had the football. Now, um, later that day, or again that day, uh, a nasty battle of the uglies. The Texans find a way to beat the Jaguars 30-16. to So they beat them down post-Urban um, Meyer era. The Texans go to 3-11. The Jaguars fall to 2-12. Davis Mills looking like their guy that they might keep in the next year. He was 19 for 30. 209 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. Rex Burkhead led the backfield with 16 carries for 41 yards. It's only a 2.6 average. And Brandon Cooks is back to having a day. Seven catches, 102 yards, and two touchdowns. Mr. Cooks for the Jags. Trevor Lawrence, 22 for 38, 210 yards. James Robinson finally getting some carries. He got 18 of them for 75 yards. That's a 4.2 average and a touchdown but it's hard when you're playing from behind. And James Oshagasi back as the tight end, uh, coming back off the IR, leads the team in receiving four catches for 60 yards. Now, defensively for the Jags, they did get to Mills once, but Tyson Campbell got the interception for the Jags. And for the Titans as a unit, they got to Trevor Lawrence three times, Tavier Thomas with 11 tackles, Garrett Wallow with 11 tackles, a sack, a tackle for loss, and a QB hit and Neville Hewitt with 10 tackles on the afternoon as well. The Jags were only 3 of 14 on third, 2 for 3 on fourth down, and the Texans an impressive 10 for 18 on third down. The Jaguars did out-yard the Texans by 15. 
Um, they lost a turnover battle 1-0, to zero, and the Jags were out-possessed by the Texans by a minute. What a wild game this was in the AFC as both teams are battling for playoffs. The Bengals beat the Broncos 15 to 10. They go to 8 and 6. The Broncos right at 500 at 7 and 7. Joe Burrow was 15 to 22, 157 yards and a touchdown. A secondary for the Broncos holding its own against a very good offensive team. Joe Mixon did get 17 carries, but only was able to get 58 yards. It's a 3.4 average. And then Tyler Boyd had five catches for 96 yards and a touchdown to lead the receiving core. Scary scene here is Teddy Bridgewater left the field in a stretcher. Uh, they did call it a concussion. He is officially out this week. He was 12 of 22 for 98 yards. So obviously their only active quarterback on the day, Drew Locke, he went 6 of 12, 88 yards and a touchdown as he tried to find a way late to win the game but couldn't. The backfield, the, the, the two-horse duo, Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon, both with 15 carries. Williams was able to get 72 yards. It's a 4.8 average. Gordon uh, got 53 yards. It's only a 3.5 average. And then Albert Akwujabam uh, led the receiving team in receiving three catches, 58 yards. Drew Locke did lose a fumble. It was a crazy fumble. He was able to run back down the sideline, which you don't see quarterbacks doing. You know, he's fighting for his NFL career. Props to you, Drew Locke. He goes out, pops the ball out of the guy that stole it from him, man-childed it from him, but they had called him down on contact. So I love to see the effort when a guy's fighting for his life like that. The, the Broncos should as well. And I'm interested to see how he plays this week in a big game. Uh, but the Broncos' defense, Baron Browning had 10 tackles, and they were able to get to um, Burrow three times. Two of those from Justin Simmons. He had four tackles, two sacks, two tackles for a loss, and two QB hits. For the Bengals defense, Jermaine Pratt with 15 tackles, a half a sack, and a QB hit. And Larry Ojanjobi with four tackles, a sack and a half, a tackle for a loss, and two QB hits. Now the Broncos finished 7 for 16 on third, 0 for 1 on fourth. The Bengals 4 of 13 on third down. The Broncos outpossessed or outyarded the uh, Bengals by 50, but lost the turnover battle 1 to 0 and outpossessed the Bengals by 5 minutes. Then we had the 49ers taking care of business against the Falcons 31 to 13. The Niners eight, uh, uh, go to 8 and 6. The Falcons drop to 6 and 8. Matt Ryan was 19 and 32, 236 and a touchdown. Mike Davis had six carries for the backfield and got 21 yards. It's only a 3.5 average. The Swiss Army Knife didn't have quite the day. He had 11 carries to lead the backfield, but only had 18 yards. It's under a two average. And then Russell Gage led the team in receiving eight catches, 91 yards, and a touchdown. For the Niners, Jimmy G, 18 to 23, 235, and a touchdown. Jeff Wilson Jr. filling in for Elijah Mitchell. 21 carries, 110 yards, to 5.2 average and a touchdown. Debo Samuel, of course, ran in another touchdown as well. RB1, wide receiver one. It's crazy how in the Shanahan offense you insert other running backs. They still perform. They have a handful of them. Anyone on that roster can perform. That's without their young draft pick, Trey Sermon, Jermichael Hasty, and others. And then George Kittle, what a fucking animal. Eight, or six catches, 93 yards to lead the team in receiving. 
Jermichael Hasty did lose a fumble for the Niners. Matt Ryan lost one for the Falcons. The Niners' defense was able to get to Matt Ryan three times as a unit. The Falcons got no sacks, but Foisati Alukin had 10 tackles on the day. No picks. The Niners were 6 of 11 on third down. The Falcons 5 of 13 and went 0 for 3 on fourth. The Niners out-yarded the Falcons by 120. Both teams had a turnover, and the Niners out-possessed the Falcons by a minute. And what an interesting game this became. It looked like the Packers were going to walk away, but Tyler Huntley filling in from Lamar really well, did his best. The top-seeded NFC Packers escaped the Ravens 31-30. They go to 11-3, and the Ravens drop to 8-6. Aaron Rodgers discount double-checked. 23 for 31, 268, and three touchdowns for 132.2 rating. Aaron Jones back in action with 13 carries for 58 yards. It's a 4.5 average, although A.J. Dillon did get a touchdown. And Marquez Valdez-Scantling led the way in the receiving core. Five catches, 98 yards, and a touchdown. A lot of this was due to two guys covering Devontae Adams the whole game. Even with that, Devontae still had six catches, 44 yards, and a tutty. For the Ravens' offense, how about this guy, Tyler Huntley, 28 for 40, 215 yards and two touchdowns for 99.5 rating. This offense putting up more points than they did with Lamar. Is Tyler Huntley better than Lamar? That's a you know a, a, a long conversation in my opinion. The undrafted player out of Utah playing solid football has a lot of similarities to Lamar as a kind of a hybrid quarterback. Doesn't have quite the athletic ability, obviously, but his poise in the pocket, he's looking good, he's running this offense, and um, I think is going to be worthy of an NFL starter. I'm sure the league is taking notice. Shit, the Ravens may be taking notice, but they have practices every day. They know what this kid is capable of, but when you look at Lamar and this big you know, contract that you're about to give him, I think it does raise question, and it's worth having a conversation. What do they do? Do they go all in in Lamar? Right? What has he done since he's been there? How far has he taken that team? And I don't have any disrespect to him. I've just never been on the major Lamar band, bandwagon thinking that he could bring them to a Super Bowl. There's a difference in the NFL between having a solid quarterback that can operate your franchise versus a quarterback that could take you to that next level and win a Super Bowl. Right now, the Eagles are going through the same thing with Jalen Hurts. Right? I'm very familiar with Jalen Hurts as an Oklahoma fan. Obviously, he played for Bama. He's a great quarterback. He's He's... I think, in my opinion, leveling up. But if the Eagles want to take him as their future quarterback, is he going to put them in that position to win the division constantly, put them in postseason uh, presence? Or is he a guy that's going to muster right above a 500, 500 record and, and win winnable games? So that's really the question here. And the Ravens are going to have a lot to chew on. Um, Lamar's still questionable for this week. But this kid's balling, and he de deserves his respect. And from what I've seen, he looks great. Um, he, he looks really good and comfortable with this Ravens offense. He also led the team in rushing. He had 13 carries for 73 yards and two touchdowns. That's a 5.6 average. And again, boomer fucking sooner. Mark Andrews, baby, leading the team with 10 catches for a buck 36. And not one, but two touchdowns for the Ravens. Now on the defensive side of things, the Ravens were able to get to Rodgers three times as a unit. Patrick Queen, a tackling machine. 13 tackles on the day. For the Packers defense, Devondre Campbell flying around. 10 tackles, a sack, a tackle for loss, and a QB hit. 
When we look at the team stats, the Ravens were 7-13 on third, 2-4 for four on fourth down. That's very efficient football. The Packers 5-9 of nine on third down. Um, the Ravens did out-yard the Packers by nine, or, uh, 8 yards. Both teams escaped without a turnover, and the Packers outpossessed the Ravens by 3 minutes. But a very good-looking Ravens team... All the injuries that they have, the lack of running backs, the lack of offensive line, the lack of defenders, and, you know, was that a slip by the, the Packers' defense? Potentially. I do think the Packers' defense has been overperforming, but I think that's the best that the Ravens' offense has looked with or without Lamar and everybody else, and I think, again, that's massive, massive praise to Tyler Huntley. And then Sunday Night Football. If you don't know, now you know. But Tom Brady does not like playing the New Orleans Saints. And last year, I thought that team with Drew Brees might be the one thing that held him from his Super Bowl potential. But that defense plays nasty. And we all know Tom Brady don't like nasty. But they blanked him. They straight up blanked him. He's throwing his tablet. He's having a day. They win 9-0 as the Saints go up to 500 at 7-7. Seven seven. The Bucks fall to 10-4. Taysom Hill had an okay day. He was 13 for 27, 154 yards. Taysom Hill did lead the team in rushing with 33 yards on 11 carries. Alvin Kamara was back in action. He did get 11 carries, but only got 13 yards. That's a pretty sad 1.6 average. We all know the Bucks' run defense is pretty legit. And Mark Ingram was there with 9 carries for 10 yards. It's even a worse 1.1 average. So they had 31 carries for 61 yards and a 2-yard per rush average on the day. Now, the Saints' passing uh, attack was led by Marquez Callaway, who had six catches for 112 yards. He had a long reception of 40. For the Buccaneers' offense, Tom Brady, 26 of 48, 214 yards and a pick. Ronald Jones led the team in rushing, eight carries for 63 yards, as Leonard Fournette went out, and that's a big reason why they signed Le'Veon Bell. And before the injury, Chris Godwin led the team in receiving six catches for 49 yards. Mike Evans also left with the hamstring. They got good news on him in a short-term injury, but still it's going to play impact with him not being 100%. I'm sure Gronk's not being 100%. They will have AB back, but missing Chris Godwin, missing Leonard Fournette. Tom Brady did also lose a fumble on the afternoon. The Bucks got to the Saints uh, to Taysom Hill one time. That was by Levante David, who had 11 tackles, a sack, three tackles for a loss, and a QB hit. The Saints defense was able to get to Tom Brady four times. Two of those, Mr. Cameron Jordan having the best game of the season, five tackles, two sacks, two tackles for a loss, and three QB hits. Something about Tom Brady fires him up. And then C.J. Gardner-Johnson with an interception on the afternoon, or the evening. The Bucks are 6-19 on third down, 0-1 on fourth. The Saints 3 of 16 on third down. The Buccaneers out-yarded the Saints by 90, but they lost the turnover battle 2 to 0, so they were minus 2, and they outpossessed the Saints by a minute. What an interesting game that was. So typically, you got Monday Night Football, the week's over. Not this week. You get two Monday matchups and two Tuesday matchups. Um, quite a dandy this one really was. The Raiders escape the Browns as both teams go to 7-7. Seven seven. The Raiders won 16-14, and it was an ugly one. Derek Carr was 25 for 38, 236, a touchdown and a pick. Josh Jacobs had 15 carries for 52 yards. 
and Zay Jones led the receiving attack with six catches for 67 yards. For the Browns, they're missing a lot of pieces. No Jarvis Landry, QB3, insert Nick Mullins. He goes 20 for 30, 147 yards and a touchdown. Nick Chubb back, had a heavy load. 23 carries for 91 yards and a touchdown. That's a 4.0 average. And Donovan Peoples-Jones led the team in receiving with four catches for 48 yards. Derek Carr did lose a fumble on the day. For the Browns defense, MJ Stewart Jr., 11 tackles and a pass defended. They got to uh, Derek Carr two times as a unit. And Greedy Williams with a nice interception, deep toss, hunted it down, ball hopped it, swooped it up, got some yardage as well. For the Raiders defense, they had no sacks, no standouts, no interceptions. Statistically, the Browns were 6 of 14 on third and 1 for 1 on fourth. The Raiders were 6 of 13 on third, 1 for 1 on fourth. The Browns are out yarded by the Raiders by 80. The Raiders lost the turnover differential 2-0, but still find a way to win. The Browns did miss a field goal, and the Raiders out-yarded the Brown or outpossessed the Browns by seven minutes. At the same time on Monday, you had Vikings Bears. Typical ugly performance by Kirk Cousins in primetime football. Kirk Cousins having a great year, but for some reason, when you put him in prime time, it just doesn't work out. But he found a way to win 17-9. They go to 7-7. The Bears drop to 4-10. Kirk Cousins was 12-24, 87 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. Delvin Cook amassed 89 yards on 28 carries. After the big game in Pittsburgh, that's only a 3.2 average against a very good Bears defense. And Justin Jefferson led the way, four catches, 47 yards, and a touchdown. Randy Moss got to introduce him to his first Pro Bowl. That was a cool little moment pregame. For the Bears, the Bears. Justin Fields, 26-39, 285 and a touchdown. 96.6 rating for the rookie. Looking, looking pretty poised there. Uh, David Montgomery had 18 carries for 60 yards. That's a 3.3 average. And Cole Komet led the team in receiving with six catches for 71 yards. The problem is the Bears fumbled the ball three times. One by Fields, one by Bird, and one by David Montgomery. Defensively for the Bears, Raquan Smith, an animal. Ten tackles on the day. They got four sacks on the day as a unit. Two of those from Akeem Hicks, who had five tackles, two sacks, two tackles for a loss, and four QB hits. And Robert Quinn, another machine, four tackles, two sacks, a tackle for a loss, and a QB hit. Deion Bush ended up with an interception for the Bears as well. Defensively for the Vikings, it was all DJ Wanham. Eight tackles, three sacks, two tackles for a loss, and four hits on the day. QB hits. This kid is a second-year player out of South Carolina. Have a day, sir. The Vikings win. And then last night, somewhat interesting football. Probably the worst non-defensive pass interference call I've ever seen in my life. You see Seahawks fans making a big old you know, conniption about it. It is what it is. You're not better than the Rams. Did you deserve the win? I don't think so. But the Rams win 20 to 10. They go to 10 and 4 as the Seahawks drop to 5 and 9. Russell Wilson was 17 for 31, 156 yards and a pick. DJ Dallas led the team in rushing with eight carries for 41 yards and a touchdown. It's a 5.1 average. But Rashad Penny got 11 carries for 39 yards before he exited with an injury. Gerald Everett, again, led the team in receiving four catches for 60 yards with no Tyler Lockett due to COVID. Matt Stafford, 21-29, 244, two touchdowns and a pick. 
And again, we talked about this guy in the NFC deep dive, but Sonny Michelle, 18 carries, 92 yards, it's a 5.1 average. And Cooper, fucking cup, 9 catches, 136, and 2 touchdowns. What a fucking machine this guy is. You know Matt Stafford loves to see it. Defensively, we talked about this guy as well. Ernest Jones with 11 tackles and a pass defended for the Rams. They got to Russell Wilson three times as a unit. And Taylor Rapp ended up with an interception. For the Seahawks, Jordan Brooks always getting double-digit tackles. 11 tackles, 2 tackles for a loss, and a pass defended. But how, how about Carlos Dunlap? 4 tackles, 3 sacks, 3 tackles for a loss, and 3 QB hits. Quandre Diggs with an interception as well. The Rams are 6-12 on 3rd down, 0-1 on 4th. The Seahawks 3-11 on 3rd down, 0-1 on 4th. The Rams out-yarded the Seahawks by a buck 20. Both teams had turnovers, and the Rams out-possessed the Seahawks by 9 minutes. So to finish up your Week 15 in the NFL, we have another NFC East dumpster fire game. The Philadelphia Eagles go to 500 and beat the Washington football team 27-17. Washington dropped to 6-8. Washington had to start Mr. Garrett Gilbert, Heineke, and others on COVID protocol. So he went 20-31 for 194 yards. The backfield was led by Antonio Gibson. He did get 15 carries, but only got 26 yards. It's a 1.7 average. He did find the way in the, to the end zone. And Terry McLaurin led the team in receiving only two catches for 51 yards. Jalen Hurts looking good. He was 20-26, 296 yards, a touchdown, and a pick for 110 rating. Um, but he also had um, two touchdowns as a runner. The backfield really cruising. The run game really going. Miles Sanders back. 18 carries for a buck 31. That's a 7.3 average. And Jordan Howard also getting 15 carries for 69 yards. It's a 4.6 average. How about that Eagles running game? And then Dallas Goder, the tight end that we all expected to blow up this year. Seven catches for a buck 35 on nine targets. He had a long reception of 45 yards. Jalen Hurts did have a day, but he did lose a fumble. Defensively, the Eagles were able to get to Gilbert two times. Fletcher Cox had a sack and a half with three tackles, a tackle for a loss, and four QB hits. For the Washington football team defense, they got to Jalen Hurts three times as a unit. Jeremy Reeves had 12 tackles, Cole Holcomb and Jamin Davis with 10, and Landon Collins found himself with an interception. The Eagles are 7-13 on third down, 0-1 on fourth. Washington football team, 6-13 on third, 0-1 on fourth. The Eagles out-yarded the Washington football team by almost 300 yards. They were minus two in the turnover department, 2-0. to zero but outpossessed the Washington football team by 11. Almost 300-yard differences. Woof, that's wild. So that sets us up for this week. Shit, it's Wednesday. We got football tomorrow. Thursday night football. We got a show. A.J. Brown activated, expected to play as the 9-5 Titans host the 8-6 Niners, the Red Hot 49ers, our favorite. Three points on the road. Uh, looks like the weather will be fine in Nashville. I'm taking the 49ers. No uh, Elijah Mitchell. That's all right. They got Jeff Wilson, Jamichael Hasty, and crew. They're going to make play mistakeless football. 
And without Derrick Henry, I just don't find a way that the Titans can get the job done, and Foreman's not going to amass over 100 yards like he did against the Steelers. Then we got some Saturday football. A little Saturday action, a little Christmas action. We have the Cardinals, 10-4, hosting the hot 8-6 Colts on NFL Network in the evening, and then the 11-3 Packers hosting the 7-7 Browns on Fox earlier on Christmas. I'm a Christmas basketball guy, but I'll definitely be tuning into these football games as you know they're, they're both pretty big games, especially the Colts-Cardinals game. If the Car Cardinals want to shout out the one seed, they're trying to gain some momentum as they're starting to tell off, and the Colts are trying to find a way to win the division and catch the Titans. The Cardinals are a one-point favorite at home. I'm going to take them at home, and I'm taking them to cover. Uh, I didn't say it about the Niners covering. I'm not taking them to cover. I'm taking the Niners to win. And then the Packers are seven and a half point favorites at home. I'm going to take them at home, but I'm not taking them to cover. That's a lot of points. So moving into Sunday, we got a, a, a short morning, actually a, a long morning slate. It's a short afternoon slate. But you got the Falcons hosting the Lions. The Falcons are favored by five and a half at home. I'm going to take the Falcons, but I'm not taking them to cover. DeAndre Swift, Jamal Williams coming back and see if that Lions can keep that offense rolling. AFC North battle of two eight and six teams is the Cincinnati Bengals host the Ravens. The Bengals are two and a half point favorites at, favorites at home. I'm taking them at home and I'm taking them to cover. We'll see if Tyler Huntley plays. I might make my change my mind. Um, Lamar's looking like he's going to play this week though. The seven and seven Vikings hosting the ten and four Rams. The Vikings trying to fight for any life that they have. Uh, the Rams are three point favorites on the road though. I'm going to take the the Rams to win, but I'm not taking them to cover. That Vikings defense is going to be tough for the Rams. Then we have the, the big, big, big AFC East matchup. The 9-5 Patriots hosting the 8-6 Bills. The Pats are favored by 2.5 at home. I'm taking the Bills. I'm taking them to win by at least 5 points um, as they look to steal the division away from the, from the Patriots. The 3-11 Jets host the 2-12 Jaguars, a battle of just a shitstorm. It's an even line. That's what they think about this game. I'm going to let the Jets. I think they find a way to win. I think their offense has been moving. They have their running backs back. And the Jaguars, after last week, how could you bet on them? Uh, so I'm going to take the Jets at home. The 7-7 Eagles hosting the 4-10 Lions. The Eagles, 9.5-point favorites at home. I'm going to take the Eagles. That run game is going to have a day but I'm not taking them to cover. That's almost double digits. Another afternoon game is the, the messy 5-9 Panthers host the 10-4 Bucks. The, text, the Bucks are favored by 10 at home. I'm going to take them, or 10 on the road. I'm going to take the Bucks and I'm taking them to cover. After last week, I think Tom Brady's going to come out with a vengeance. They're going to find a way, and the Panthers are that messy. They don't even know who's starting at quarterback at this point. The 3-11 Texans hosting the 8-6 Chargers. The Chargers favored by 10 on the road. I'm going to take the Chargers, but I'm not taking them to cover. And then a couple afternoon games is the 5-9 Seahawks host the 4-10 Bears. The Seahawks favored by 6.5 points. I'm going to take the Seahawks at home, but I'm not taking them to cover. And the 10-4 Chiefs host my 7-6-1 Steelers. The Chiefs favored by 7.5 at home. Depending on COVID, this might change, and I'm a little biased, obviously, but I'm taking the Chiefs home. I'm not taking them to cover. The 7-7 Broncos uh, travel to Las Vegas to the 7-7 Raiders. This is an even line. I've been back and forth on my picks. 
But due to the quarterback situation in Denver, I am going to go with the 7-7 seven and seven Raiders at home. Um, and it's going to be a very close game. I did pick the Broncos originally, but I I'm now switching to the Raiders. And then we have the 10-4 Cowboys hosting the Washington football team at 6-8 for Sunday Night Football. As the Cowboys trying to wrap up the division at home, they're 11-point favorites. I'm not sure what's going to happen with their quarterback situation with Washington and COVID, but I am going to take the Cowboys, and I'm not taking them to cover. And then Monday night, another fun game, as these teams are trying to battle for any playoff hopes that they have. The 7-7 seven seven Saints hosting the 7-7 seven seven Dolphins. The Saints favored by three at home. I think the Saints find a way to do it with Kamara back in that defense, wrecking up uh, the Dolphins' offense. This is going to be close, though. I'm not taking the Saints to cover. And that's our Week 16 slate. As we got Thursday, Saturday, Sunday football. You got Christmas basketball. You got Monday night football. You got bowl games. So let's talk college football. Some crazy transfers. Dylan Gabriel, the stud quarterback out of UCF, who was you know, going to lead them to the glory land this year, transfers to the Pac-12 as the Pac-12 getting some names. He decides to play for UCLA. Max Johnson leaving LSU. He's going to go to Texas A&M. Uh, as they get another stud quarterback. And Bo Nixon also coming to the Pac-12. All these SEC kids and, and other big names going to the Pac-12. Bo Nixon's going to go to Oregon to play for the Ducks in his final season. USC transfer Kadan Slovis transferring to Pittsburgh. He's going to fill in for Kenny Pickett in the next season. And then Grayson McCall... Uh, the solid quarterback out of Coastal Carolina is uh, uh, committing to stay with the Chanticleers next year. And some bowl news, Texas A&M pulling out of the Gator Bowl. They don't want to be involved with, it with all the COVID situation that they have going on. So that bowl game will be erased. I would not doubt if other games will be taken out of the slate. Alabama next year, they get running back a running back transfer from Georgia Tech who was uh, having a solid season, Jameer Gibbs going to Bama as they get another stud to add to their team. That's all that we need as football fans, right? Uh, well, let's talk about what's happened in the bowl games, how my picks have gone. I haven't added up my picks totals yet, but I have them in front of me. So, let's see. Friday, December 17th, we have Middle Tennessee beating Toledo in the Bahamas Bowl. I had picked Toledo, so I was 0-1. Of course, I picked the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers in the Tell Greeter Cure Bowl um, last Friday. They beat Northern um, Illinois. It was a close game. Grayson McCall was 22 of 30, 315 yards, and four tutties. They also had Braden Bennett run six times for 108 yards and two touchdowns. It's a pretty solid Coastal Carolina team. Moving into Saturday last week, UAB up ending 13th ranked BYU. I had picked. Uh, BYU to win that game, so I am 1-2 and two at this point. The Rage of Cajuns, without their head coach, was able to beat Marshall 36-21. I had picked Louisiana, so I am 2-2 two two so far. Western Kentucky upending Appalachian State 59-38. Tough game for App State. I did not pick them, so I was 2-3 and three thus far. Fresno State finding a way to beat UTEP 31-24. Jacob Hayner, 26-41, 286 and a touchdown. And then they had their running back go 29 carries for 165 yards and two touchdowns on the day. I had picked Fresno State. So at this point, 0-1, um, 1-1, 1-2, 2-2, 2-2, 3-3, 4-3, 4-3, 4-3, 4-3, 4-3, 4-3, 4-3, 4-3, 4-3, 4-3, 4-3, 4-3, 4-3, 
two and three. I'm three and three, shooting 500. I figured this young stud quarterback would find a way to show out. That's why I wanted to play. Finish with a strong note as Liberty takes down Eastern Michigan 56 to 20. Malik Willis, future first round quarterback, 13 of 24, 231 and three touchdowns on the day. Um, have a day, sir. That puts me at four and three. And then we had the Mountain West team up and the Pac-12 team. Utah State takes down Oregon State 24 to 13. That puts me back at four and four. So then this week on Monday, we had some Monday games. Tulsa blowing out Old Dominion 30 to 17. I had taken Tulsa. Confirm. Yep. So that puts me at five and four. SDSU up up ends the Roadrunners. That was a, a, was a fun game to watch. Really, it came down to the San Diego State all season and their offense. Well, they found a way, and it was all to the same guy, Jesse Matthews, with 11 catches for a buck 75 and two touchdowns. I put some money on UTSA as the underdog straight up. Um, and that motherfucker took him down by himself. Every time they needed a big play, they'd find a way, and he found a way to grab the ball. Impressive victory by SDSU. I took the loss there. And how about those pokes, baby? Wyoming finding a way to win in the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. Of course, they get that bowl game. Levi Williams, above 27, is a passer, but runs for 200 yards. So he ran for more than he passed. He had a 12.5 average as a runner. And not three, not two, but four tutties on the day. Let's go, Pokes. We'll take a bowl game victory and finish the season at seven and six, seven and six at this point in the season. So let me confirm. I was 0-1, 1-1, 1-2, 2-2, 2-3, 2-4, 2-5, 2-6, 2-7, 2-8, 2-9, 2-10, 2-11, 2-12, 2-13, 2-14, 2-15, 2-16, 2-17, 2-18, 
I can't pick the Cats. Should I pick the Cats? Should I be a, a fan of Montana football? Potentially. But after all the shit we've dealt with lately, let's go Bison. Switching gears. All that football talk. Shoo-wee. We had one more fight card for the year, though. Little fight night card. A nice little fight night card. To end the year in a bang. But before we talk that, let's talk just what, what's happened around the fighting world. Well, Chimaev is trying to get a fight. It's uh, probably been a battling nightmare, a matchup nightmare for Dana White and Sean Shelby. I've seen reports that Colby Covington's in the work. I've seen Neil Magny. Dana White said Neil Magny is the only one that wants him. And now after Bilal Muhammad, he's calling him out too. So I'd assume a fight with Chimaev gets booked soon. But that's going to be really interesting. I would love to see him against Colby Covington more than anyone. See how good this kid really is. Uh, Claudia Gadella announcing retirement from the UFC after a great career. As she retires just off the hills of um, Felicia Spencer retiring last week. Johnny Walker booked against Jamal Hill. This was the fight I said that would make sense. And boy, is that going to be a banger next year. Another banger in the bantamweight division. Marlon Marias versus Song Yadong. This is going to be an all-out war, and I'm fucking here for it. Uh, we also have Bruno Silva fighting Alex Pieta, the kickboxing stud that knocked out Israel Adesanya in his third fight in the UFC, I believe. That will be a fun one, as I just watched Bruno do work in uh, T-Mobile for UFC 269. And because this is relevant, Jake Paul knocked the fuck out, uh, knocked Tyron Woodley the fuck out. Holy shit, after that punch, that Kamehameha right hand, you know, Tyron put, made a mistake, put his hands down, and just got smoked. I mean smoked. That guy was flat on the canvas. Props to Jake Paul. He's knocking everyone out. But maybe we'll up the ante and give him some real competition when it comes to boxing or someone who actually boxes for a living. In the prelim card, Darren Williams looked sharp against Frank Gore. I had picked Frank Gore. He had pushed him out of the ring, diced him up. He's the taller, um, bigger fighter. Uh, but both guys looking sharp, looking good for a, a, you know, a first professional bout. And now Jake Paul trying to figure out what he's got next. He offers Jorge Masvidal $5 million in pay-per-view points for a fight. I doubt that happens as Masvidal signed under the UFC. Masvidal clapped back, said, come to the UFC will pay you as well. So, you know, Jake Paul wants to get headlines. He wants to keep things interesting. That's what's going to happen. I do not expect that he fights a UFC fighter that's still in the UFC and active as his next fight. I see that uh, the Vegas odd favorite is Anderson Silva, and that would potentially make sense, as Jake Paul is going to keep taking these guys that are way older, you know, not true boxers or whatever, to build up that momentum. But let's talk the fight night card. I didn't do very good again. These fights have been kicking my ass lately. I went three and four in picks, but there was seven more knockouts to finish 2021 with a bang. Um, I didn't get a watch live because again, I was shredding up at Crystal Mountain this weekend. But the best part about ESPN Plus, I was able to come back, watch the fights, um, and I'm glad I did. There was nice wins from fights that we didn't talk about by Charles Jordan, Justin Taffa, who missed heavyweight, Come on, bro. You can't be missing heavyweight. You can't be missing that. And Gerard Mearshirt with some wins. And the prelims, the fight that we did talk about, 
uh, Raquel Rocky Pennington with a second round submission submission over Macy Chiesin. And to be honest, Raquel looked great in this fight. It was back and forth in the first round. Raquel, Ra Raquel quickly took over in the second. And she seems to be on a roll. She's on a three-fight winning streak. Two of them happening in 2021. And she now moves up one spot in the rankings to number seven. For Macy, definitely has had her momentum come to a halt here. Uh, but Rocky was just the better fighter in my opinion. She missed weight by two and a half pounds before the fight as well. So that never looks good. Um, her two-fight winning streak comes to an end, and she stays at number 10 in the rankings. Statistically, Raquel landed 61 total and 45 significant strikes with the submission, and Macy had 64 total and 26 significant with the takedown in the fight. Up next, I would love to see Raquel versus Yana Kunskaya or Ketlin Vieira. I think she's ready for some of, the, some of that higher-level competition. And for Macy... I would love to see her against Patty Kianzad, who Raquel just fought, or Alexis Davis would make sense to me. Heading into the main card, Jaboy, the veteran, Cub fucking Swanson with the first round knockout over Darren Elkins, and boy did Cub have some swagger in this fight. His flow, his looseness, his confidence, he just looked ready for an all-out war, and I was a little worried about him being too confident with his hands low, but it worked for him. For a 38-year-old fighter, bravo, bravo. Now he's even talking about potentially going to bantamweight, which there's some motherfuckers in bantamweight, so we'll see what happens. But uh, Elkins never really stood a chance. He was just too slow, didn't have enough head movement to have a chance in this one. Now Cub, he does start a new winning streak after the loss to Giga, a very good Giga. But this one should put Cub right outside the top 15. He's had three fights this calendar year, and talked about how good he feels mentally and physically. So I'd expect him to be back in the octagon in Q1 in 2022. Because um, he was looking good. He had some swagger. For Elkins, his two-fight winning streak comes to an end. He's obviously still a tough son of a bitch. Uh, but I wonder how much he has left in the tank. You know, these guys getting older. Not everyone could fight into their 40s. Statistically, Cub landed 18 total and significant strikes with the knockdown. Before that, KO. And Elkins had five total strikes and two significant. Up next for Cub, I'd love to see him take on the, the very hot, momentum-built Leron Murphy right now. Or maybe even uh, Bruce Lee, Leroy, Alex Caceres. Those would be fun matchups. For Elkins, I could see Herbert Burns or Sean Woodson, who's on a roll of late as well. And then this fight. We had Matuz Gamra with the second-round TKO over Diego Fajeda. And this was an interesting scenario. First round was close, very close of a round as you could really expect. I think Gamrat won it because of the big moment. He had relentless wrestling. Um, he was able to um, knock Diego down. But in the second round, I thought Gamrat had expended so much energy with that wrestling. He was slowing down. Fieta was getting comfortable. And my opinion was on, was on his way to win the round. But then as Fieto was up against the cage fighting down a takedown, a relentless, another takedown from Gamrot, he kneed him what looked like right here in the ribs. Um, it could have been like a popped rib or, I don't know, liver or whatever kind of organs are right here because immediately he, he called the fight. Gamrot really wasn't sure what had happened, but obviously he was in massive pain. I haven't seen any reports. Hopefully he's okay. Um, definitely an un unusual situation for sure. 
But Diego, man, a slick veteran to this day, he's no easy fight. I thought if this would have went the distance, Diego probably could have pulled off the victory as Gamrot was for sure gassed. Um, but he's becoming a contender. Gamrot's looking good. Um, I think he is a bit overrated. Some people think very highly of him. You know, he thinks highly of himself, as he should. When we look at Diego, he's now on a three-fight losing streak. He falls two spots in the rankings to 15. But although he's on that losing streak, it's against very good competition. And I don't think he is lacking skill and ability, so I'm sure we'll see more of him. For Gamrot, he's now on a three-fight winning streak. And his last two victories are against aging, veteran, aging veterans. I do believe it is time for Gamrot to have some stiffer competition, some contention type competition, if he really wants to be the best of the best. He enters the rankings though for the first time at number 12, and he won't be able just to wrestle his competition moving forward. You look at the guys in the, this, this division, he's going to have some challenges, so I'm interested to see. Statistically, Fiato was able to land 37 total and 36 significant strikes. Gamrot had 31 total and 25 significant with four takedowns. Up next, I think a Fiera-Tiago-Moises fight would be fucking bonkers. And for Gamrot, how about Brad Riddell, who's just off the victory against Fiziev, or Gregor Gillespie, another wrestler, which would allow us to see how good Gamrot is. Good with wrestling, all-around type dudes. So I think those are the fights to make. I could see Riddell really, you know, for sure happening. So let's make that shit happen. But then another show and showing out party here. Ricky Simone with the second round knockout over Rafael Asuncao. And what a show Simone put on. Or Simon Simone. Much like Fietta, Rafael is on a, on a slide as an aging veteran. But he is no slouch. He's no joke to come into the octagon with. But Ricky looks so fucking durable, vicious, and just confident. I'm really excited to see his next few fights because he looks slick in this one. Ricky was suffering, uh, was suffering Raphael during this fight and setting the tone. He was controlling the center of the octagon, pushing him up against the cage. And I thought this was the best Ricky has looked. And it didn't last long, but it looks like his improvement's continuing. He's getting to the best pure fighter that he can be. He's only uh, 29, so he's not even in his fighting prime yet. But he is now on a four-fight winning streak with three of them happening in 2021. And he enters back into the rankings at number 13 for the bantamweight division. For a Sun Sal, he is on a medical suspension with another knee injury happening from an MRI after the fight. He is on a four-fight losing streak against very, very good competition. So it's going to be interesting to see what he does next year at 39. But I believe he still has some fight left in him. And he does move down three spots to number 15. Statistically, Ricky landed 27 total and 18 significant strikes with two takedowns and a knockdown. And Rafael landed 10 total and 7 significant strikes. So for next fights, uh, Simone did talk about a Sean O'Malley fight. This has been rumored before. And I think it makes sense, honestly. I don't think it will happen, though. And it's a very tough test for the Sugar Show. So I could see Ricky getting someone like Frankie Edgar or maybe even uh, Cheeto Vera. And for a, a Sun Sal, he could take on Frankie Edgar or Raulian Peva, who just fought the Sugar Show. So some good fights happening for both these fighters. But I would love to see, so I can't wait to see Simone what he's got next, especially if it is, in fact, the Sean O'Malley fight. And then we had a woman showdown, probably the fight of the night. Amanda Lemos with a split decision over Angela Hill. 
Holy shit was this fight back and forth. It was a very close fight, but the first round was highlighted by the Lemos knockdown, and it looked like Hill was done. Like, I thought there was no way she could recover. The fact that she was able to recover mentally and do what she did is fucking amazing, but Hill's been in deep waters a lot of, throughout her career. Hill believes she won the fight. She had showcased that after the fight. Um, I do think Lemos had the biggest moment, and I think that's why the judges gave the fight to her because of that. But at 36 years old, this is a very tough loss for Hill. She is now on a two-fight losing streak, and she has lost four of her last five. She does stay at number 12 in the rankings. And for Lemos, she's on a different kind of part of the pendulum of momentum. She's on a five-fight winning streak with three of them happening in 2021. She's also 34 with 13 total fights, but this was by far her best win. She was tested and put into deep waters. I thought she did gas out, but she was able to get the win. Her power advantage was definitely obvious over Hill, uh, but now she moves up one spot in the rankings to number 10. The fight stats, Lemos had landed 68 total and 50 significant strikes with a knockdown, compared to Hill's 74 total and 48 significant with a takedown and a reversal. So up next for Lemos, I think Tisha Torres or Jessica Penne really makes sense. I could see uh, Angela Hill taking on Luana Pinheiro, who just entered the rankings, or maybe Brianna Van Buren to get back on track. And then the co-main event. What a bummer for Steven Wonderboy. I had picked him. I'm rooting for him. I think he's the better fighter when it comes to fighting. I have a wrestling background. I understand wrestling is probably the most dominant uh, trait and core mixed martial art to have. Um, but goddamn, that's got to be a tough fight to sleep on for Steven. Uh, he lost via unanimous decision to Bilal Muhammad. And Muhammad looked good. you got to give him credit. But this is the second straight fight uh, fighter in a fight for Thompson that just went straight to wrestling. Uh, they grinded him down. They took the victories. And as a guy who could do so much and thinks he's probably a better striker than these guys, it's got to be tough pill to swallow. But that's why it's MMA. Mixed martial arts, right? Uh, Bilal clearly didn't want that smoke while standing. He didn't want to make this a striking competition. Uh, that was clear early. Thompson did really well, though, to give him credit to defend these takedowns, but it wasn't enough. Thompson's had a tough year. Uh, he has two losses to those wrestling-based fighters. He has talked about loving the sport, feeling great. You know, he still coaches part of the gym. And that the UFC is basically going to have to kick him out when the time comes. But I don't think he's anywhere to that point. I think he's going to have to either, one, avoid wrestling background fighters right now. Or continue to focus on that defense. Because uh, a lot of the guys up top ahead of him that he hasn't beat already are heavily, you know, heavily wrestling based. And for Bilal, his cardio, man, it looks great. He looks shredded. I just don't think as a whole fighter, he doesn't compete with a lot of the guys in the top rankings. I think Leon Edwards was on his way to beating him before the eye poke. He's called out Usman. I think Usman would fucking smoke him. And the other top fighters in the division, I'd most likely take, you know, if I'm picking or making bets. But he is now on a two-fight winning streak. He's won six of his last seven. He moves up five spots to number five in the rankings. Statistically, Bilal landed 171 total, and 58 of those were significant strikes, and seven takedowns and a submission attempt, compared to Thompson's 51 total and 19 significant. 
So all those strikes were basically controlling on the ground, up against the cage on top, those sort of things. So what's next? Well, I think for Bilal, Sean Brady would be a fight to make, another guy who's got a lot of momentum. Or give him Michael Chiesa, see what he could do against another wrestler. You know, he wants the moment, he's worked hard, he's on a winning streak, but he hasn't fought a lot of that top-level competition. So he's called for Chimaev, uh, Chimaev, but I don't think that'll happen. And for Thompson, I'd love to see him take on Neil Magny, or Li Jingling, give him a striker, let him go to fucking war. Just looking, did I just? No, okay, it was Song Yudong. I thought Li Jingling just had a fight booked, but maybe I'm, I can't remember. And then the main event, Derek the Black Beast Lewis. First round knockout over Chris Dacus. Like I said, I usually bet against Lewis and he fucking knocks him out. The fucking KO King. Most knockouts. All I know is a small octagon, aka the Apex, plus the Black Beast equals fucking trouble. Uh huh. Chris Dawkins started the fight at range as you would expect. He had some shots, he, he found some kicks early, but Lewis just found his opening pretty early in the fight and he came with the gauntlet. He came with that smoke. Chris got a couple good shots as well, but that was all she wrote. You can't handle the Black Beast power in there. You know, I did expect more movement from Dacus. You know, I wanted some more in-and-out striking. But, you know, heavyweights, it's, uh, there's not a lot of guys like Cyril Gaon who could do that. Well, Lewis starts a new winning streak. He's won five of his last six. The official KO king of the UFC. All credit due to the Houston badass. He does stay at number three in the rankings. And what a fucking character. He joked after the fight. That he only wants three round fights. That five round bullshit he said. That's crazy. I can't do it. I thought that was hilarious. He threw his. He took his cup out. Threw it to a fan. And um, they interviewed him after. Like what the hell was that? He's like hey I threw it out. I'll make it an NFT. Trying to make some money. Uh, that show was kind of funny. He's a hustler. But he's basically the gatekeeper of the heavyweight division at this point. You know he doesn't seem like he's really interested in fighting for the title. He's been bested by the best. Uh, so it seems like he'd be the gatekeeper. Take fights, get paid, make money. That's what he wants anyways. Meanwhile, Dacus, his five-fight winning streak comes to an end. He stays at number seven in the rankings. And statistically, there wasn't a lot. Lewis landed 14 total insignificant strikes with the knockdown compared to Dacus's 10 total insignificant. But what's next? Well, I think for Lewis, I can see him taking on Jarzinho Rosenstrike, who he hasn't fought yet. Or give him Taya Tuivasa, another hard-hitting son of a gun who's really moving his way up. For Dacus, I could see him potentially taking on Marcin Tibera. Or give him Taya Tuivasa as well. He's ready to rock. He's, a, he's, a, he's knocking fools out. So, you know, these types of heavyweight fights are all worth seeing. They're all must-see. So in the UFC, we got a holiday pause. Three weeks for another fight card. Again, that'll be headlined by Giga Chikadze and Calvin Cater with an earlier start. So we get a little break. We enjoyed the fights, enjoyed the knockouts. I can't wait for 2022, some of the biggest, most exciting fights we have. Um, I will talk next week or the week after about you know what's forecasted. I'm sure Ariel Hawani will do fighting awards, MMA Hour, all those guys will be doing, doing fighting awards. We'll talk about that, what, what, what's previewed. And again, like last year, I'll go through each, or each title holder and I'll give you my assumption who's a title holder by the end of the year. Lots of fun. Anyways, we got some hardwood action, some college basketball, some NBA action. For the Lakers, tough news for an already tough season. Anthony Davis out four weeks. 
Um, you know, he, he said he thought it might be more serious, so at least it's not a long, long-term injury. With all the COVID issues, cancellations, postponed games, Celtics are signing Joe Johnson, Slow Mo Joe, to a 10-day contract. Going to love to see him. He's been part of the, the big three Ballers League. He played for the Jazz, played well. And then how about for Miami? 41-year-old Udonis Haslam checks back into a game, comes in, hits a corner three. That is the heart and soul of the team. They keep paying him even though he's not much of a player. I love to see it, though, that he came in and hit that three. I thought that was worth bringing up. Looking at the standings, the Nets are atop the East. The Bulls are a game and a half back. And how about them fucking Cleveland Cavaliers, baby? We'll have to start diving into them uh, NBA teams into the new year because I'd love to talk about my thoughts on this team. They're only two and a half games back in the three spot. Miami and the Bucks locked in at four and five. The Sixers back up to six. Washington's dropped to seven. The Hornets... Celtics and, and Raptors round out the top 10. Trey Young, Ice, Ice Trey, and the Hawks finding themselves out of the bubble mix. It'll be interesting to see if them and the Knicks can find their way in. On the West, typical 1-2-3, Suns, Warriors, Jazz. The Grizzlies holding their ground without John Morant. Now he comes back. They're in the four seed. The Nuggets heavily missing Jamal Murray and MPJ as they're at five. The Clippers, six. Uh, Lakers, seven. Dallas, eight. Luka just getting into COVID protocols. Looks like he won't be playing on the Christmas game, which is a bummer for me as a Jazz fan. I wanted to see that matchup. And then Timberwolves 9, Kings 10. The Blazers and the Spurs find themselves out. It'll be interesting to see if they could get back in. So since last week, let's see if there's anything super crazy here. So the, the Heat beat the Sixers 101-96. Um, as they go to 17-12, the Sixers dropped to 15-14. Dwayne Denman dropped 10 and 14 in the victory. Tyrese Maxey, 27, 3 and 5. Um, the Nets then beating the Sixers at home, 114, 105. Joel Embiid having a day, 32, 9 and 6. But KD steals the victory, 34, 11 and 8 in the victory. Heading into this past weekend, the Nuggets beating the Hawks, 133, 115. Nikola Jokic, 20-10-7. Ice Trey, 34-3-10. But again, my knock on Ice Trey and the Hawks, you know, this is their, their leading player, is the efficiency. He's got Carmelo Anthony-esque lines. So he had 34 points on 27 shots. He was 1-for-6-for-3. For that's just that's just the stuff that it's hard for me to believe that they're a true contending team with that kind of efficiency. The Warriors beat the Celtics, 111-107. Uh, Andrew Wiggins had 27-6-2. Jason Tatum, 27-8-6 in defeat. The Pelicans found a way to beat the Bucks in OT. Even though Drew Holiday had 40 points, Devontae Graham scored 26 for the victory. The Spurs shocked the Jazz on the road. Uh, Keldon Johnson with 24-8. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, 27-5-4 in defeat. Moving into the last Saturday... The Raptors beating the Warriors, Fred Van Fleet 27-7-12, and, and Jonathan Kuminga getting, an, getting a look. He goes 26 points, one rebound, two assists. They were without Steph Curry. They're without a lot of their playmakers in this game, I'm assuming to COVID and injuries. Uh, the Jazz drop another one as they lose to the Wizards, 109-103. Bradley Bill at 37-5-7. Donovan Mitchell 32-3-5 in defeat. 
and the Cavaliers beating the Bucks on the road, 119 to 90. They're managing business here. Was this without Giannis? Yep, this was without Giannis, uh, but C.D. Osmond with 23 points on the bench to lead the way, and Darius Garland with 22 for the for the Cavs. Still a big win regardless. This past Sunday, the Pistons beat the Heat 190. Sadiq Bay Villanova alum, 26-4-2 in the victory. The Blazers trying to find a way back. They found a way to beat the Grizzlies. Dame Lillard, Dame Dalla, 32-5. Dylan Brooks getting hot back in the rotation. 37 points, 3 rebounds, 3 assists in the defeat. Uh, Monday, we had the 76ers beat the Celtics on the road. As they go to 16 and 15, the Celtics drop under 500 to 15 and 16. Joel Embiid, 41 and 10. Jalen Brown, 30 points, 5 rebounds, 4 assists in defeat. The Jazz beating the Hornets, 112-102. LaMelo Ball at 21-6 and 11. Rudy Gobert, 23-21. He's about to get another DPOY. Um, Tuesday, yesterday... The Pelicans blowing out the Trailblazers, even though Damian Lillard had 39 points, are still without CJ McCollum. Brandon Ingram 28-8-8 for the for the Pellies. And then the TNT doubleheader was finished by the Suns beating the Lakers 108-90. Devin Booker led the way with 24-9-7. LeBron trying to do his darnest, 34-7. No AD, it's going to be a tall mountain to climb. So obviously we have games Wednesday, Thursday. There's a break on Friday. And then Christmas action, we got Hawks-Knicks. That'll be an alright game in the morning. Celtics-Bucks, that'll be an alright game. The big one, Warriors-Suns, 2 o'clock uh, Pacific. Nets-Lakers, then Jazz-Mavericks without Luka. Assumingly, that won't be as fun. But Nets-Lakers, Warriors-Suns, going to be some fun for Christmas. As we head into the new year, the NBA is getting seriously. We'll start talking more NBA, talking a little bit more detailed than just hodgepodge here and there. But for me, the NBA season doesn't start until uh, after Christmas. And then college basketball. Bronny James declaring for Duke. LBJ's son doing the damn thing. Pretty soon LBJ is going to be playing with the son. That's some wild shit. Looking at the new rankings, my overrated, underrated. I still am declaring Alabama overrated. They just lost this past week to Dayton, so no surprise there. Um, they're at number 10. I assume that next week they'll fall pretty heavily. Let's see. Close this out. I also have Arizona is overrated. They're number 6 right now. They're 11-0. They moved up two spots in this past ranking. They still have literally played nobody. They beat 4th-ranked Michigan 80-62. to Michigan's taken some spills. They beat Illinois. Uh, was this with or without Coburn? They beat Illinois with Coburn. Uh, he didn't have a very good game. So a couple decent wins, but they're still not a top 10 team in the nation, in my opinion. And I'm also going to say that about USC. USC is 12-0. Who have they played? Absolutely nobody. So we'll see what they're made of uh, as we come down the stretch run into conference play. I also am classifying Auburn and LSU as overrated. Auburn's 12, LSU is 17. Auburn lost to Connecticut. They haven't beat a solid program yet. We also have LSU at 11-0. They have literally beaten nobody of noteworthy. So uh, we'll see how these teams do against good competition. 
I haven't seen anything that stands out that really makes me think that they're a, a high quality team. And then we have 10-0 Colorado State in the rankings at 21. I'm classifying them as overrated as well. Uh, they haven't played much for co uh, competition, having some cancellations. They're going to have a pretty easy schedule going out, but we'll see what they're made of. For underrated, not as heavy as a list, just because Nova moved so far down, all of their losses have been top-level teams. Uh, they're down to 23. I'm going to have them as an underrated label. I'm sure they'll move up. Kentucky at 20, a little underrated as well. The, this Kentucky team, you know, they have a lot of young talent. They usually get better as the season goes on. And Wisconsin at 24 at 9-2, and two, I do think they're underrated. They'll move their way up. They've suffered losses to Ohio State and Providence thus far. Uh, they have wins against Marquette, Houston, um, some decent wins. So we'll see what happens. But when we look at what's happened this past week since the pod, um, on Thursday, Duke was able to blow out Appalachian State. On Friday, Villanova suffers a 20-point loss to Creighton. Typically, they're a very good three-point shooting team. They're able to control the, control the, the um, pace of play. But the team went 17% from three. They were four for 23. They were led by Eric Ditz in the lone bright spot with 15 points and nine rebounds. And then Colin Gillespie had 16 points, but he was one for eight from three, uh, six of 17 from the field. And um, Creighton was led by Ryan Hawkins, the senior who had 19 points, 11 rebounds, and was three and six from three. So another loss for Villanova. Baylor beats Oregon 78 to 70. Kendall Brown had 17 points to lead the way. Purdue blew out Butler. Jaden Ivey, 22 and five. He's looking good as Purdue, uh, event, you know, trying to get momentum after being the one seed and losing right away. Gonzaga handles Texas Tech by 14, 69 to 55. Gonzaga was led by Nebhard, who had 16 points. Um, the potential number one overall pick only had five points, was one of four, and had 11 rebounds. That's Holmgren. Alabama escapes Jacksonville uh, State, 65 to 59. Keon Ellis led the way for Alabama, 20 and 10. Let's see. UConn suffers a loss to Providence. A.J. Reeves had 16 points for Providence. R.J. Cole led the team again, although this time in defeat. 16 points, 8 assists. Kentucky blows out North Carolina. Severe Wheeler with 26 points, 3 rebounds, 8 assists. Xavier beats Marquette, 80-71. Uh, Dwan Odom with 19 points for the victory for Xavier. And then the 24th ranked team at the time, Arkansas, drops to Hofstra, 89-81. J.D. Notoy, 20.6 rebounds in defeat. I have them as an overrated team as well the past few weeks. Let's see, nothing on Sunday. On Monday, nothing crazy. Tuesday, Villanova beating Xavier. A very tough first half. Second half, they finally started hitting threes. Again, a bright spot. Eric Dixon, 15 points, 8 rebounds. The team wasn't as atrocious, but they only shot 26% shot from three. They were six for 23, or no, excuse me, 28%. They were six of 21 uh, from three in this game. Jalen Samuels 0 for four, Gillespie 1 for five. They're either going to have to move the ball around and create some offense in the paint or need to shoot that three better if they want to be a top-level team. Today, Wednesday, there's been a couple games of action. 
Uh, we get to see Arizona versus Tennessee, so we really get to see what they're made of um, against a solid squad later today. Let's see. Thursday, nothing. Friday, nothing. Saturday, nothing. Monday, nothing. Tuesday, nothing. Wednesday, 17th ranked Auburn, or LSU taking on tw uh, 12th ranked Auburn. So we'll see LSU's first big time matchup. And then Alabama plays Tennessee again. So we'll get to see them against Tennessee. See what they're made of. That's it as we wrap up episode fucking 60. We got a couple little hitters though. The Mets are hiring Buck Walter for GM and the A's are hiring Mark Kotze as the MLB, you know, league is still in holdout with the CBA agreements and I'm sure that won't happen for a while after the New Year's. But in the NHL with all the postponements, all the COVID issues, they have announced that they are skipping the Olympics due to COVID. Right, this was Sid the Kid's last chance for Canada, some people's last chance, so tough news for NHL players. But other than that, episode 60, thanks for tuning in. Again, like, subscribe. If you have feedback, you know, hit me in the comments, hit me in the DMs, wherever you're seeing, streaming, or listening to the, the Business of Buckets podcast. We got two new great business episodes coming for you in the new year, learning from entrepreneurs, seeing what their stories are, you know, learning from their, their past. And also, once again, thanks to Field Supplements, it's a new year, right? People have New Year's resolutions. They're trying to get in shape. I know for me, I'm trying to get better for 2022. I don't necessarily have New Year's resolutions, but I want to be better than last year. Um, be better, not better, right? But go to fieldsupplements.com. If you're buying supplements, instead of going to Costco, GNC, all these big chain companies and giving them more money, help small businesses. They're trying to eliminate small business. We all got to help each other. Once again, fieldsupplements.com. Use my promotion code BUCKETS. You get a 50% savings. It's going to help. See you guys next week.